Welcome to the Bitcoin Basics podcast with your hosts, Faris and Gordon from CoinCompass.com, enabling you to safely buy and securely store your Bitcoins. All resources are in the show notes and description, including our disclaimer. Visit BitcoinBasicsPodcast.com to subscribe and discover other free content. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night, everyone. Where you're listening to this, the Bitcoin Basics Podcast with your host, Gordon, that's me, and I have Faris with me. Before I get to Faris, just a quick recap. We had a look at altcoins, otherwise known as shitcoins, in our last episode. So if you haven't listened to that, because we go into great detail, uh, have a listen to that. I'll link the link in the description show notes. So today we're looking at Bitcoin myths and FUD. This is our sixth part of seven parts of our Bitcoin Begins series. And I'll ask Faris by saying, most people say Bitcoin's not real. You can't touch it. You can't smell it. You can't uh, feel it, do anything unlike gold. Therefore, Bitcoin's worthless. So yeah, this is something, a question I have to answer or explain to you depending on your um, demographic. So if you are a baby boomer, this is something I'll definitely have to talk to you about. If you are a millennial, not an issue. Um, millennials these days can order a taxi, order food via an app. So for them, their world exists on their smartphone. With baby boomers and older generations, this is something that hang on with gold, I can buy, I can hold it in my hand. Um, with money, I can get it out of the ATM. So that again, in explaining this, I actually have to explain to them, or oh, hang on, money itself. So the money that you have in your bank account is not real. Um, banks do not actually hold what you have in your bank account in reserve. You know, they lend it out to other people. And there's more money you know, in digital form than there is in cash form in the real world. So when you explain to them that, then they understand a bit more. Um, and the same thing goes if you're buying shares. How many people go, okay, I'll buy Shion. I'll buy shares of Apple, that makes me a shareholder. Are you actually gonna to go to the AGM? Are you actually gonna look at sales reports? Are you gonna to go to the factories and say, I wanna see proof that you've printed so many millions or that you've created so many millions of iPhones? Um, so it is just, yeah, a misunderstanding of not just Bitcoin, but finance itself. Faris, you said something amazing and unbelievable, and I don't believe you. So when I go to the ATM and I withdraw $200, or even say, for example, I transfer $200 using my internet banking. So for example, I'm transferring 200 Australian dollars to you. I assume there's some guy, maybe some intern, you know, 18 years old, fresh out of high school. He goes down to the bank vault, you know, in the, in the recesses of the bank, and he looks at all the pallets of cash and he moves $200 and maybe you've got a different bank. So I don't know how they transport it on secure trucks or whatever. And then the next night or the next day or whatever, that money then moves from my bank to your bank. Isn't that how things work? No. So obviously with that, it's money just moved around from one account to another. Um, and with that, when I say one account to another, so if you were to deposit $20,000 into the bank, um, I will then borrow um, $200,000 to buy a home. Now, that $200,000 I'm borrowing, 
actually is not cash kept in the bank anywhere. It's, you know, fractional reserve, it's what it's called. So, and there, we can link a chart onto this where you can see there is X amount of cash, so physical money that you can hold in global circulation, which is minuscule compared to what is technically on bank balance sheets, minuscule compared to it. Yeah, it's funny we have to explain this, and I, I kind of get it. It is perhaps a generational thing. You can hold a guard bar or you can hold cash in your hand, and that's something of value. But nowadays, as you said, most money, it's numbers on a screen. Uh, we don't actually touch physical cash, and in this day and age, I doubt we're going to ever touch physical cash again. So we're talking about intangible assets. We're talking about ideas. And, I mean, you look at some things, uh, trademark, copyright, patents that companies have, they're extremely valuable. Companies pay millions of dollars uh, for these things. You can't touch a trademark or, a, or an idea or a patent, and that's why people spend millions of dollars um, protecting their intellectual property. So, yeah, we're talking about abstract concepts, intangible assets. Um, just because you can't touch it doesn't mean that, you, that it isn't valuable. And I would argue that the most valuable thing in the entire world is an idea and ideas remain in heads and there's something that aren't actually uh, physical. So, okay, we've debunked that unless you've got anything else on uh, you can't touch it, um, therefore it's worthless. Well, the, the only thing one, I want to, sorry, the only thing I do want to add to that is um, currently there is no derivative trading of Bitcoin. So, for example, I've got the numbers in front of me. Physical money in the world right now is about 34 trillion US dollars. Um, that's cash in vaults around the world or in banks around the world. However, when you add what the derivatives on top of that, it's well closer to $100 trillion. So you've got $100 trillion house of cards stacked upon physical money of $34 trillion. Now, with Bitcoin, it's one-to-one. -one. The amount of Bitcoin in the world is actually what you see is what you get. There's no um, dark pools. There's no hidden money anywhere. That's basically one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. You don't have this leveraged or stacking on top of it that you see in financial markets. Great point, Faris. And Faris mentioned a word, fractional reserve banking. That's when, for example, a bank has $1,000, but they loan out $5,000 to five different customers, but they only actually have $1,000. So they're creating this, this debt, this credit. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. Okay, Faris, the next one, which I hear all the time, um, probably in the last five, six years, uh, there's been, um, we did an episode on, on how Bitcoin's dead and Bitcoin's in a bubble. People constantly say, Bitcoin's in a bubble. I say gold's been in a bubble for 5,000, 8,000 years. Is Bitcoin in a bubble? So it depends on what is your definition of a bubble. Um, so for example, a lot of people are saying that at time of recording, we're at the end of 2020, the stock market is in a huge bubble because they're using metrics like cap ratios and price to earnings. Um, and it is in the biggest bubble we've ever, we've ever known beyond 2008, beyond 2000.com. Um, With Bitcoin though, um, how do you value that as a bubble? Because we know how many are going to be created. We know how many will be created. We know how they're going to be released. I would say Bitcoin goes through bubbles in sentiment, 
in that people are rushing, rushing, rushing to buy into Bitcoin and you get that FOMO, that fear of missing out. So yes, Bitcoin does go through these FOMO bubbles and it's gone through them several times. But how do you actually say it is in a financial bubble where you can't? Because um, if we were to say that the amount of money that goes into gold would go into Bitcoin just by inflows of funds, people buying gold, if those same, same amount of money went to Bitcoin, then each Bitcoin would be worth about 500,000 US dollars per Bitcoin. And it's not that. So by that metric alone, even that, we know how many Bitcoins are going to be released. We don't know how much gold there is in circulation still. Um, there could be more that they unearth. So sentiment bubbles, yes, Bitcoin will go through many sentiment bubbles. But how do you put a metric any other way? Yeah, good point. Uh, Bitcoin is in a bubble. It uh, prints 6.25 Bitcoins every 10 minutes, the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, not really comparable to the Federal Reserve that are printing trillions of dollars uh, and Bitcoin has a cap supply of 21 million. So it's uh, not really comparable. Um, our last and final piece of FUD that we're going to debunk, which I hear all the time, Bitcoin is like MySpace and, um, you know, another altcoin is going to take over just like MySpace lost and or whatever social network and now um, Facebook is the winner. Bitcoin will be overtaken by a better, faster, insert your adjective here, cryptocurrency. Faris, is Bitcoin going to die? Well, is it going to be dethroned? This is something I wanted to ask you, Gordon. So the one thing I enjoy about Bitcoin or I really appreciate is the supply and demand. Um, properties we know how much supply there is in bitcoin um and to me that's from, from an economic perspective that's what i appreciate supply and demand uh from a technical perspective um this is what i wanted to ask you are there coins out there that can potentially offer a um a service or a product that bitcoin can't offer and that will be a bitcoin killer Oh, you mentioned two things. Are there other coins that can do something better than Bitcoin? Yes, absolutely. For example, let's just look at the top three coins, Bitcoin, Ripple, and Ethereum. Ripple is faster. Sorry, Bitcoin fans. Ripple can do 10,000 transactions a second. Bitcoin can only use seven. Come on, Bitcoin. That's pathetic. Ripple is faster. Um, Ethereum, for example, can do a little bit more transactions a second, but Ethereum can do all kinds of complicated things, decentralized finance, smart contracts, and et cetera. Bitcoin is slow. Bitcoin is boring, but that's by design. So Bitcoin does one thing, and that's hard money, store of value, and it does it really well. There, I just looked on CoinMarketCap, and there are currently more than 3,900 altcoins um, and if we look at the last five years ago so for example the top five uh, bitcoin uh, sorry the top five cryptos at the moment bitcoin uh, xrp sorry ripple tether link and ethereum if we look even just five years ago the top five was bitcoin litecoin pewcoin namecoin and feathercoin so even in the period of five years, most of the coins don't even exist anymore. So is it possible that another coin takes over? It's yes, anything's possible. It's extremely unlikely for what Faris mentioned. Bitcoin has a supply of 21 million. 
It is decentralized, which means it can't be controlled by a government or anything like that. And it's the most secure hard money system that we've ever had because we've got the smartest people working on it. It's got the biggest network. It's got a network effect. It was the first one. Copies have come and gone. Coins have come and gone saying this is the Bitcoin killer. But in the end, um, Bitcoin stands because, well, of all those reasons that I mentioned. Yeah, I agree for the same reason, Gordon. And I've looked at altcoins, but at the end of the day, I mean, we're coming from different perspectives. You, I understand the blockchain aspect. I appreciate the economic aspect of what Bitcoin has to offer. Well, actually, I understand the economic aspect. Um, it's the best store of value, and and that's what it comes down to for for all those reasons, even technical that I mentioned. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, without further ado, that concludes part six of our seven in our Bitcoin Begins series. We're going to have a look at what's next, our final chapter. And uh, thanks, Faris. Any concluding thoughts or observations about Bitcoin and FUD? Uh, by Bitcoin. <laughs> thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com slash free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad-free. Until next time.